Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, guys, welcome back to the show, The MVM Show. I'm here today with my co-host, Travis McDonald, and we got a special guest. His name is M.D. Johnson. Um, pretty glad uh, we could get together on this because um, I think you guys are going to take a lot of uh, things away from this. I got to talk to him a little bit, and we'll maybe talk about that a little bit later. But uh, welcome to the show today, M.D. Well, thank you, Titus. I sure do. And Travis. Thomas, I, I sure do appreciate you fellows uh, including me in on this. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Um, guys, where's your website at? Do you want to give the people your website? They can find out more about you and what you do, MD? Um, it, unfortunately, Titus, it hasn't been updated in quite some time. I'm about on, on the technology evolutionary scale. I'm still a knuckle dragger kind of guy. <laughs> so, um, But it is mjoutdoors.com. Uh, my wife's a professional photographer, and I've been an outdoor writer now for full-time, uh, right around 30 years, I guess. So there's a lot of what we've done on there, uh, half a dozen books, odds and ends of things, Julie's Photography, which is really kind of the shining star there. But uh, there's quite a bit there. It's it's pretty pictures, real pretty pictures. Yeah, I've seen her work. She does a really good job. And, uh, well, so... Like you said, we're not worried about that. The information's out there. We're not worried that it's all updated and fancy because in all reality, that's not really what matters. It's it's the experiences that you've had that we're looking forward to hearing from and and uh, seeing. So this being the season for turkey season, and we've been out. It's been open for, what, I guess a little over a week now for us, Travis, here in California. Yeah, with the junior hunt starting yeah. the week before and then... And then um, opening day was last... Leave us... Saturday. It's going into the second week, right? Yeah. 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 Second week. Yeah. 
time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> so we've had some good hunts, and we've had some hunts that, you know, it is what it is. It's hunting. It's not killing. Yeah. So I would consider us both pretty much rookies, too. I mean, I've, I've hunted turkeys maybe for like about if you're a rookie, I'm four a really, or five years, but I yeah. wouldn't say that I'm a proficient or a professional. Yeah. or I mean, I'm just pretty much... But you don't claim to be, you know, you're, you admit, yeah, you know, that's not my, my, my niche, but it's fun. I, I enjoy it, but I am by far a proficient caller or know all the tricks of the trade or anything like that by a long shot. We have, we have a ton to learn. I have a lot more to learn than Travis. So we want to dig into, uh, Mr. Johnson and his knowledge about turkey hunting. Now he does know a lot about duck hunting guys. So I think what we'll do is we'll have him back on later maybe closer to the season and find some stuff out about tur- uh, duck hunting and his knowledge of that. But I'd really like to dig into the turkey hunting knowledge, MD, and also maybe like you were mentioning, maybe a little bit of um, the parallels that there could be. So maybe let's just tell, let's start, let's dig into your history, um, where, you know, where everything started, how your hunting career started. Was it as a kid or where were you at? Where'd you start out at? Uh well, I'll tell you, Titus, I started, I killed my first duck. Let me, let me start there, and then we'll get into turkey and the thing. Is, uh, I killed my first duck in 1974. My dad was a very, very, very avid hunter. He came, came back from Vietnam and decided that he wanted to duck hunt. He'd always been a small game hunter. Grew up on a farm, rabbits and pheasants back in northeast Ohio. We still had pheasants back then. And uh, so he was an avid upland game hunter. We didn't have any geese. We didn't have any deer at that point in Ohio, or very, very few. I mean, it was one of those where, I mean, really, this isn't a a made-up story, but if somebody killed a deer or even saw a deer back in northeast Ohio back, you know, when Dad came back from Vietnam in 66, um, you know, that made the newspapers. But So Dad was a very avid outdoorsman, hunting and fishing, uh, so he brought me up that that way started out squirrel hunting when I was just uh, killed my first squirrel when I was eight killed my first duck when I was 10 um, and it would be then 1990 uh, before I was in on my first turkey harvest and actually I got to sit next to my dad and watch him kill his first one uh, just outside of Athens Ohio I went to college in uh, at Ohio University in Athens Ohio southeast part of the state Lots and lots and lots of turkeys down there. So I got to sit next to Dad and watch him kill his first one. And I'll tell you, fellas, Dad and I, we wore everything wrong. We did everything wrong. <laughs> this was just one of those very obliging gobblers that wanted to, you know, he wanted to ride in the back of the truck. I, I, I wrecked it. So, I like those kind. <laughs> um, I, yeah, absolutely. I'll take, I'll take those, Titus, every day. Um, but we were wearing... You know, homemade gloves. My aunt was a wonderful seamstress, and she made gloves and head mats. And, you know, the old man had on a pair of, he had on his, his canvas upland game hunting pants, his brush pants, and a, and a, a brown duck uh, canvas jacket. I mean, camouflage. We, did, we just didn't know anything. Um, and that was in 90. I killed one in 91, and then it was just kind of a wild ride since then. Uh, my wife really got, my wife was always a hunter. Um, she was a big game hunter. I introduced her to waterfowl and turkeys and, uh, she killed her first bird in 94. Um, she killed a grand slam in 95 by herself. We killed a grand slam as a couple. Both of us killed grand slams in 2005. Um, it was, it's, it's been a really, really, really neat ride. Wow. That's a, that's a lot going on in, the, in that amount of time, for sure. 
So how how did you? How did you find a girl like that? You know, it's not very often you see a, a woman out there that likes to do all that stuff. So I'm sure that's why you snagged her up. Well, actually, I just you know, a blind squirrel finding an acorn. You know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, yeah. I just got real, real lucky. Her mom, her mom hunted and fished. Her dad hunted and fished. Her uh, stepdad hunted and fished. And, so, you know, her, she's got three grown boys now, and uh, they're all men. They all hunt fish. So she's always been in the outdoors. She just never – she grew up hunting elk. She grew up out here in Washington State. She was a native. She grew up hunting elk. She grew up hunting deer, fishing salmon. So she really had – she had no experience uh, waterfowl hunting. She had no experience turkey hunting. And she took – I mean, she took to it like gangbusters. Um, she's a great duck hunter. Um, and as far as a turkey hunter, she'll, she'll kill birds. Honestly, fellas, she'll kill birds that I won't because she has a lot more patience than I do. Mm. And I'll tell you, the little girl can flat shoot. Mm. And that, maybe that can roll us right into something that I'd like to ask you as far as turkey hunting goes is the patience part of it, because there's some guys that I've been watching on YouTube and, 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 we had this conversation a little while back about um, learning stuff from YouTube and paving the way how people are using that to learn stuff. And if they're doing the right thing, there's nothing wrong with it. So uh, these guys are highly respected. I know Travis watches them, but I was watching them and there was a couple of times that I would have squeezed the trigger or at least would have maybe jumped the gun on something and they waited and it almost gave me anxiety (laughs) <laughs> but they waited, waited, and especially because they were trying to get it on film, you know? Because I get to the point, right. filming almost goes out the window. I'd rather take the kill <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> so it's, like, hard to be in that situation. But w- talking about patience, they waited and waited, and as soon as that w- that turkey's head cleared that little bit of brush that was blocking the camera, he said, go ahead, and bam, he shot it. So I thought to myself, I wonder... It's like, how do you know when to be patient, sit there and wait for two, three, four hours? And how do you know when to make move? What, where does that patience come in at? Well, Titus, here's what I told folks. Uh, Julie and I did seminars at sportsman shows out here in the Pacific Northwest for a better part of 20 years. And, and when I moved out to Washington in 93, turkey hunting was brand new. Um, the guys who turkey hunted out here in Washington, for instance, 99% of them came, they were Midwesterners. Mm. Um, so the guys didn't have anything really to go on. I mean, I could use elk hunting as an example and a good example, but in a roundabout way to answer your question, the biggest, one of the biggest things that I told them was as long as the mistakes you make in the spring turkey woods have nothing to do with ethical behavior, you never forget that you represent all of us, all of us hunters. You represent all of us. And gun safety, maybe first and foremost, gun safety. As long as your mistakes don't don't cover any of those base, make them. I mean, just make them. That's how you're going to learn. You're going to move too soon. You're not going to move soon enough. You're going to, you know, you're going to think that, that 55 yards is 35 yards. You're going to call when you should be quiet. You're going to be quiet when you should call. You're going to make mistakes. That's how you learn. The, one of the neatest things, Titus, that we did 
in 97, we moved to Iowa. We spent 18 years in the state of Iowa, and we were exposed to more wild turkeys than I even thought inhabited the planet. And that's where we learned to be good turkey hunters because if we screwed up the first one, there was another one right around the corner Mm. most days. Mm. So as far as patience is concerned, that's one of the biggest things you can have when it comes to turkey hunting. But you'll make the mistakes. You'll move when you shouldn't. Uh, You'll sit still when you should move. Guys will ask, well, you know, I'm pointing at 10 o'clock and the bird comes in at 2 o'clock. And how do I, when do I move? How do I move? I can't tell you. You're going to have to do that. You're going to have to screw it up. And then you're going to have to go back and go, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Here's maybe what I shouldn't have done. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's just like, it's just like duck hunt. You know, um, I called it their face instead of on the corners. I set too many decoys. I set too few. I set with the wind wrong. I didn't camouflage myself as I should. A lot of parallels yeah. there. I mean, these aren't, it, it, I, I, thank goodness I have never killed a gobbler on his way to a Mensa meeting because if they were that small, I would never, if turkeys could smell, I would never kill one. <laughs> but so, so that's, that's a long answer to a, a very, very long question, I guess, Titus. Yeah. One of the things I've noticed, MD, is, um, you know, I haven't hunted, this Travis, haven't hunted too long is, and what most uh, people are just starting out, I tell them, is a turkey's eyesight is so incredible. Um, a slight movement, and I mean, I've seen those birds just, you know, they'll put, they're gone. And I, I try to explain that to people, like, you know, you're saying when to move, when not to move. A turkey's eyeballs, I, I talked to a, a gentleman that I, I've known for quite a while. Um, he's hunted all over the world. Turkeys, I don't know how many birds he's killed. I would say in excess of thousands. Um, but he, he said he thinks that he, a turkey can see you blink at a hundred yards. No problem. Well, it's, they, they say they, and I'm not exactly sure, (laughs) Travis, who they are, Yeah, but they say that a turkey's eyesight is akin to 10 power binoculars. Really? So, I mean, I've seen turkeys do things. I watched a boy the size of a of, of an NFL linebacker, and my wife's right here, and she can attest to this. I watched a boy the size of an NFL linebacker use a T-post, just a T-post, <laughs> as a backrest, call the bird up in an open pasture field to within, I don't know, 18 steps, 20 uh-huh. steps, with nothing between him and the bird but air and killed him. And I'm thinking, when he did that, I'm thinking, what is this kid doing? Uh-huh. But, and and Julie's smiling here, she said, you know, the, the boy knew when to move, when yeah. not to move. He was head-to-toe camouflage. So their eyesight's incredible. What, what people need to understand, Travis, is that turkeys are afraid of everything. They're uh-huh. not going to do the deer thing where they look at you and they stare. Yeah. They're just going to run away. <laughs> and then 30 minutes later, they're going to go, wow, I'm sure glad I ran away. Don't know what that was. <laughs> I'm glad I ran yeah. away. Um, the biggest thing, though, fellas, is, is their hearing. Huh. I, can't, I have never been able to emphasize enough to a new turkey hunter how acute a, a, a turkey's sense of hearing is, uh-huh. and, and to this day, it amazes me when 
you call and he gobbles. Yeah. He's heard you. He doesn't, he doesn't have an area the size of a football field where he's kind of guessing you where you are. He will come exactly where you're sitting. And when I say exactly where you're sitting, uh-huh. he will come to exactly where you're sitting. <laughs> if you guys haven't done it already, you will do this, guaranteed. You will call a bird gobble. He'll gobble, he'll gobble, he'll gobble, he'll be hung up, he'll shut up. And you'll go, okay, he saw me, something happened, another guy came in, you know, the aliens, something. Okay, <laughs> you'll get up and move. Two hours later, you'll go walking back out that same way, and you'll look, and right where you were sitting there, he stands in full stride. Uh, I think Tice has already experienced like, that. Oh, I have. <laughs> there, there you go. So there's not, honestly, fellas, there's not a ton of givens with turkey hunting. Um, one of the givens, though, is you're going to screw it up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm finding out that very quick. <laughs> Like Travis, like you were just saying, MD. I, you know, was walking. We were hunting the other day uh, with Travis's dad. Actually, it was just me and him midweek, and sitting there by a tree, we knew where some gobblers at. Gobblers were at, and they were calling back to us and stuff like that. And but they were, like you said, they were hung up. Wouldn't come in. Then they just completely went out of sight, away from us. And we sat for another twenty minutes. And then actually, someone came by, hooping and hollering, yelling, making a bunch of noise. I don't know what the odds were. I've seen somebody we knew. It was actually a a uh, another hunter, but he was hunting for something different. He comes flying by there screaming. I'm like, oh, my goodness. We looked at each other. Uh, hunts over. Got up, walked out. Two hours later, came back down that same road, and there was a stinking turkey literally standing by the tree we were just at two hours prior, like you said, with all that racket, all the noise, everything. Right. So I questioned myself. Right. Do we sit there for two hours? Like, how do you know when it's time to get up and move? You know? You know, there again, fellas, it's it's kind of a... And and guys were always asking me, well, you know, you, you've killed a bunch of turkeys, so you obviously know. Well, I, yes, I have killed a bunch of turkeys, but for every turkey I've killed, I've screwed up a bunch. Yeah. And that's yeah. where the educational aspect comes in. So, you know, I, the, the thing is... People need to understand that biologically, this is not supposed to work. He gobbles, and the girl turkey goes to him. Yeah, That's how Mother Nature said this yeah, is going to work. Uh, well, the roles. we said, nah, nah, nah. Right. It is. It's it's the ultimate role reversal. Yeah. You know? So now we're making the hen sounds, and he's supposed to come to us. Well, it works <laughs> sometimes. You know? But what you got to realize is that you've turned it 180 degrees, so, you know, you need to give him his time. Every turkey is going to be different. Um, you call and he cuts you off. Maybe he's excited. You call and maybe there's a 15-second lag or a 30-second lag, and then he gobbles. Maybe he's got hens with him. He's gobbling because he has to, but he doesn't really have, have to because he's got half a dozen pretty little girl turkeys right there with him. So when he gobbles, one of the things that I always told people was, when he gobbles, he tells you everything you need to know. He's this far. He's this direction. He's a jake. He's a young turkey. He's an adult gobbler. He's got hens. He doesn't have hens. you got to listen to him. Just listen to him. But to get back to your question, you know, it, it really is a, a crapshoot. You've got to listen to him. Often, if you've got a bird coming and he shuts up, He's coming. 
that's when you get the gun up. That's when you get ready. That's when you really use your eyes and you watch because a lot of times you'll come in quiet. Maybe he's a two-year-old that's gotten beat up half a dozen times and he just hasn't learned his lesson. He's got, oh, she sounds really, really nice and I've gotten beat up before, but I'm going to do it again. You know how. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know? So, well, you know. So are you talking about how you talking about how nature has it to where the, the girl's supposed to see the guy I've seen guys do that approach where they're calling and locating and then going in. Is that is that wrong or is that a, a method as well? Uh, you mean locating with a hen sound? Yeah, like okay, they're calling the turkey gobbles. They run towards them, like say if he's three, four hundred yards away, and there's a lot of brush and they can stay covered. Is that a wrong approach? Because that's my nature. Here's something I want to move in towards it if I have a way to get there and is that a total wrong approach or is that one method to do it no that can honestly that can be a very very effective method understand that when you make a turkey sound okay and he gobbles the game has started you don't have five minutes you don't have a minute it's game on right now Mm. okay because you've just said i'm ready for you to come here okay now maybe he's 150 yards away when you yelp he gobbles Okay, you've got plenty of time to sit down or go 30 yards, find yourself a seat, and he's obliging and he just stands there and you get set up and then you start calling and he comes in to 30 yards and you shoot him. That's a utopian scenario. Now, it may happen where you call, you yelp and he gobbles and you think, ooh, he's 150 yards away. It's kind of brushy here. I don't have a place to sit. I'm going to walk around the corner of this road and sit down right there. Well, what you don't realize is that he's thinking, ooh, boy, she sounds pretty, and he's flat running. Uh. So now you go 30 yards, he goes 50 yards, and you come around the corner, and there he stands, (laughs) and he goes, ooh. She's really ugly. You know. What are you trying to say, MD? I don't look good. No, 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 no. Throw the beard back. Throw the beard back. (laughs) I know, man. I'm just sick of looking this double chin. Maybe if I grew that beard back, I don't know. He's. But then he starts thinking I was another, maybe another Tom or something. (laughs) You never. And you never know. You know, and that's and that's a subject too. I prefer, fellows, I prefer to locate birds using a non-turkey sound. Crow call, owl hooter, elk bugle, speckle belly call is really, really good. A wood duck call can be really, really good. Something natural, something high-pitched. Let me. Can I cut in uh, there and ask you a question, MD, on that? Does it have to be, because you're naming off a lot of things, um, a place we've been hunting, there's honkers around, and... And as soon as they the honkers start going off, the geese start gobbling. So my question is, can should you only use a locator call that's subjective to the area you're in that they hear naturally, or can you just go ahead and use anything and it won't affect anything? I would I would use I would use any natural sound, pileated woodpecker, even if even if they're not there, Titus, I okay. would still use I, I would use a Canada goose call. I would use a speckle belly call. I would use a wood duck call. Something that's loud. A lo- one of the best calls, locator calls I've ever heard, was a loon. Somebody had a loon up in the upper Midwest. They had a, a call that would reproduce that real loud cry of a loon, 
and turkeys ate it up. Hmm. Um, peacocks, several years ago, 15 years ago, a peacock scream was the deal. I mean, they sold tens of thousands of peacock calls. Um, and I mean, I heard it. I, I, turkeys responded to it. I mean, but I've heard turkeys gobbled a lot of stuff, slamming car door. Uh, yeah. they don't like rap music. They will not gobble <laughs> at rap music. Um, you know, but one of the best, honestly, fellas, one of the most efficient locator calls I've ever heard in my life was, have you ever seen those, those whistles that kids have? They're a long thing and you spin them and the faster you spin them, it starts out low pitched and then it's almost like a fire, fire siren or an air raid siren is what it sounds like. Oh, I think I know what you're talking I about. Not, I could not believe how turkeys gobbled at that. <laughs> now, once you get over the fact that you look like a real idiot out there, <laughs> this thing around, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, but so honestly, guys, whatever, whatever you use, you know, one of your duck calls, one of your goose calls, an elk bugle, pileated woodpecker, something natural, hmm. even if it's not there, I would use something other than a turkey sound. That way you're not starting the game until you're ready to start the game. Hmm. That makes so much sense, though. I think I wonder if that we do that. That's my natural tendency. We want to hit that call and run out there and deal with it. But if you're if you're doing a, a locator call, then he don't even have in his mind there's a girl out there moving to where you want. Right. And then start the game is exactly what you're saying, right? Right, right, uh, and you can you can keep track of him. Say you owl hoot or you elk bugle or you coyote howl. Coyote howl is good. It's it's loud and it's real high pitched and it goes a long, long, long ways. You coyote howl, and he gobbles, and he's a couple hundred yards. Well, then maybe you switch to a crow call or a pileated woodpecker or something else, and. You know, you can keep track of him as you move, but you're never starting the game. Mm. Okay, now I'm at 150 yards. Now I better sit down and see what, you know, and, and when it comes to setting down, when it comes to setting up, Titus, I'll, I'll say this, and I'm probably getting ahead of you, then you were probably going to get on this. If when you sit down to start the game, okay, you're within 150 yards or 200 yards of this bird, you found a great spot to sit, I'm going to sit down here. I've got my head net up, my gloves on, my gun's ready. Everything's ready to go. If when you sit down, if when your hind end hits the ground, your first thought is, ooh, this place really stinks. I can't see. This is in the way, blah, blah, blah. Get up and move. Mm. You need to get up and move. Or else he's going to come in within 50 yards. He's too far to shoot at, in my opinion. And, and something is going to screw you up. So that's one of those givens of which there are very few. If when you sit down at your first setup and the moment your butt hits the ground, you think, oh, this isn't right. It's not. So, so do something different. Hmm. That's a great tip. Great tip. All right. So, so my question is, is um, seems like the areas that we hunt, there's a lot of pressure, a lot of calling, and it's not so hard to get a, a bird to, to respond and gobble to us, but it seems like, with my limited experience, sometimes I think when I call, he's just gobbling out of uh, like almost like a shot gobble or a response, but not that he's gonna he's gonna come to me. It's almost like I I I get the sense of feeling that he's not coming, and, and a lot of times they'll hang up and it, 
I guess it's just not have hunted them enough or enough experiences to know what to do in that scenario. Well, and, and a lot of times, here's the thing, and, and on public ground, although if you have a piece of private ground where you've got a handful of guys or, or gals, hunters who are hunting it, human beings are very, very, very predictable. You walk down a two-track road in the timber, and eight times out of ten, people are going to stop at the same exact spot to call as the next guy, as the next guy, as the next guy. For whatever reason, it just looks good. And if you look, there may be a handful of cigarette butts or, unfortunately, you know, some candy wrappers. Everyone's stopping at the same place. Well, these birds have to gobble. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. So a guy hits a call from spot X where the last dozen guys called from, and he's going to gobble. He's going to gobble, but that's what he's going to do. He's just going to say, okay, I'm here, Mama Turkey. You come to me now. Yes. So in a situation like that, if there's any way to come in, come in at them, at those birds from a different angle, can you access it from the water? Can you access it? some other way um, from a backside. Uh-huh. Can you knock on a door and get access through a 20-acre piece of private ground? I'm not going to hunt here. All I want to do is access the backside of this 2,000 acres of public ground. Yeah. I mean, the worst they can do is tell you no. Exactly. So, you know, there you try, and again, there's a parallel foes to, to waterfowl hunting. You know, do something different. You know, go a little bit further make it a little bit harder on yourself and you may be able to do something with those road birds, the birds, the gobble, you know, as the guys drive down the road and they all stop at the same place and they all open the door and they all call and the bird gobbles and they all get excited. And then they realize that bird's not going to do anything at all. Yeah. So MD, is there anything that you can help us with? It's kind of goes along with what Travis asked, but pressured birds and hunting pressure and dealing with people a lot of people hunt in a small area do you have any advice whether it be avoid the morning hunt and do the afternoon or i mean what can you give us and the listeners to help us when we're hunting high pressure areas you know we we actually had a, a real good mix fellows of, of public and private we had in iowa now, despite the fact that Iowa doesn't have much in the way of public ground, the public ground that they do have offers some tremendous uh, spring turkey hunting, fall turkey hunting, too. Um, one of the things that we would do is uh, we'd hunt inclement weather. Um, if it was cold, if it was raining, you know, the days that the guys were just flat staying inside, they didn't want to. You know, they didn't want to come out. They didn't, you know, they didn't want to go out in the field. We try to hit those. Um, you touched on something real good there. Hunting later in the morning. Um, now, like in Ohio, where I grew up, or the state of Missouri, um, you can only hunt until noon or 1 o'clock. Now, that don't hold me to that, fellas. That may have changed, and I know Ohio's got some some different regulations now as far as how late in the day you can actually hunt. But if you can hunt, which I believe you can in California, and I know you can here in Washington, Oregon, Idaho, the same way. If you can hunt all day, those afternoon hunts can be really, really, really good. Traditionally, everybody in the wants to go out in the morning. I mean, I Mm. want to be out in the morning. 
um, that's when, you know, mom nature is waking up and it's, it's just a very traditional time to be out there, but everyone knows that and everybody and his brothers out there at that time. So mid morning, um, can be awfully, awfully good. One of the, do I want to say here, Phil, as a rule of thumb, a lot of times the, the, the gobblers will roost in close proximity, uh, pro, uh, close proximity, not, not necessarily with the hands, but close enough to where they can see them, um, that they can, uh, uh, you know, they can listen to the hands fly down, they can watch the hands fly down, and then everybody can, can join up and, and spend, the, spend the morning. A lot of times, and especially as the season progresses, what's going to happen is those hens, and here's where biology comes in and, and the knowledge of turkey biology comes into play, especially in the later, later in the season, as the season progresses and those, those hens are going to nest, or they lay one egg a day. So they will go off sometime during the course of the morning, and the gobbler who at first light had half a dozen hens with him now has one. Now at 11 o'clock, he has none. And now he's had no hens with him for five minutes. Well, in gobbler time, five minutes without a girl, that's like, that's like 47 years, you know? <laughs> and so those later morning, I love to hunt late in the morning, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, noon, um, afternoon, uh, where you can go in, where you've got a place where you know uh, – high turkey activity, high turkey traffic. There's birds in the area. You go in with a little portable blind, not a pop-up blind, but just something like Hunter Specialties has one to throw a name out. Several manufacturers have blinds that just fold up and, and you can put in your vest. You stretch out in front of you. And I mean, I would honestly, fellas, I'd take a book. I'd take a Gatorade. I'd take a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'd sit there and I'd plan on spending two hours, three hours, four hours reading the book and eating my peanut butter and jelly sandwich and taking a nap behind the decoy. And every 15 minutes, 20 minutes, I'd do a little clucking, I'd do a little bit of purring, and I'd really listen because a lot of times those public land birds, a lot of times those pressure birds will come in quiet. They want to do what it is they want to do, but they've seen enough activity um, they've been bumped a handful of times. Maybe they've been shot at a couple of times and they still want that girl. She still sounds real nice, but eh, the last time, you know, I got shot at. So <laughs> yeah, late in the morning, all afternoon. I, I'll be honest with you, fellas. I was never real big on too dark to, until dark hunts. I, and, and you can ask me why fellas. And I, I don't know. I mean, I just, you know, as it started to get darker, I thought, you know, this turkey is, he's, he's got, he beat me today. You know, I'm, he let him go to roost and we'll start it tomorrow morning or tomorrow morning. So, but that's just me. I mean, there's a lot of turkeys killed on the, on the way to the roost. So, you know, it's just, it's a real game of improvise and adjust. Mm -hmm. hmm. Okay. <clears throat> Let me ask you this. Um, how important is a decoy in the spring? You know, honestly, Titus, we killed a ton of turkeys before turkey decoys got big. 
the thing with turkey decoys can be very, very effective. Um, you know, you're making hen sounds, you're creating an illusion. I always told people you're creating an illusion. So you have this audio illusion that is the calling you're doing. Well, now he can see something. Now he hears a hen, he sees a hen. Well, okay, I'm going to break and I'm going to come those last 20 steps or 40 steps and then meet my demise. They can be very, very effective. However, I believe, and this is me, but I believe they're very, very situational. I have watched adult gobblers that I would, and Julie was sitting right, my wife was sitting right next to me when we saw this. I've watched adult gobblers go and gobble and gobble and gobble, come out in the open, look at a single hen decoy, slick down, and their body posture was such that I am afraid, and they'd leave. Well, what happened there was they looked at that hen, they thought, ooh, Ooh, the last time I went over by a girl turkey, I got beat up terribly bad, and I'm just going to leave before mm. I get beat up again. Full strut decoys, same thing. They can be very, very effective. Half strut jake decoys, jake decoys can be very, very effective if you find the right gobbler. That's the problem. Do you know the gobbler that you're hunting? In Iowa, it was nice because we could hunt the same farm time after time after time, and, and I'd get to know these birds. I'd get to know them. Um, they're, well, there are three decoys, right? But with Tom decoys, whether it's a Jake, a half-strut Jake, a full-strut decoy, are you, are you creating an illusion that's going to be frightening for a bird that you'd be very, very happy to shoot at but just scared him away because mm. he steps in the open. He looks and goes, Ooh, yeah, I'm no, I'm not doing that. And he just wanders away. So, you know, it's kind of a, are you taking a chance? I would say if there was one answer, Titus, I would say pack a decoy, pack a hen decoy, and then maybe leave it in your vest 75% of the time. Make him hunt you. Okay. You know, he, he knows the sounds. I mean, he knows you sound, you sound good, but make him hunt you. Yeah. That makes total sense. And it's good to hear from someone that knows the experience. I've, uh, it seems like I've seen that more often than not most guys not using it in just that few times. So I've, there's just, these right. are just questions I've had just trying to learn as much as I can, you know, in a short period of time. But like you said, I understand just like duck hunting, deer hunting, elk hunting, experience is the best teacher. You just, you try to go out there with as much knowledge as you can to make less mistakes than the guy that taught you. But until you make your own, like you said, just like duck hunting, it's like, the only thing I would say is a little bit different. And when you're paralleling those two together is the fact that duck hunting, you have multiple birds and multiple opportunities, not always, but a lot of times you'll have several flights come in or whatever. And if you see something they don't like, you can adjust and then be prepared for the next group. Whereas turkey hunting, if you blow it, that might have been your only chance for the day, you know? Right, right. Well, and it can be, you know, I think with duck hunting fellows, it may be a little bit, it may be a little bit easier if a bunch of birds come in and they flare. Something isn't right. It may be a little bit easier to figure out, to analyze 
that situation and say, okay, the sun's wrong, the the wind's wrong, my decoys, yeah. um, you know, my 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 propeller beanie is askew. Something you can tell is is not right with a turkey. I can't, and and Julie just walked back in, and she'll attest to this. You know, you'll call a bird into 50 yards, and you're just waiting, just waiting, and everything is right with the world, and the next thing you know, he pots, and he pots, and he pots, and he runs away, and he goes, (laughs) I look at her, and I'm like, what did I do? And she says, you know, you you were there. You were there. So, you know, yeah, (laughs) turkey hunting can be a little bit more difficult to figure out what you've done wrong, and then when you finally drop the hammer on one, it's like, oh, okay, what did I do right here? <laughs> it, it, the, the learning curve, fellas, is is big. I mean, I, I it, it's taken a lot of time and a lot of places and a lot of people um, helping me and, and, you know, and a lot of mistakes. But like I say, the biggest thing was 18 years in Iowa where we had, uh, and, and I guess they're called encounters now, encounter after encounter after encounter after encounter and you know after even even you know a dense guy like me learns eventually <laughs> so there's hope for us yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't think there's hope for me there's hope for you guys you guys are young guys <laughs> well uh now enough picking your brain i guess we're kind of stealing all the knowledge we can steal from you but i mean that's that's the point, trying to help other people learn, us learn too. But um, tell us a little bit about your guys' Grand Slams and some of your experiences hunting. Um, How did that happen? Let's, the, let's the, talk about the one where you did it as a couple. How, what, what, how'd that take place? When was that? And tell us a little bit about those stories. That was in... That was in 2005. And that one, Titus and Travis, I, you know, I'll tell you, fellas, after it was all said and done, and I was very, very happy. Um, we finished up with Miriam's, Julie and I finished up with Miriam's in uh, South Dakota. Um, she, killed, she killed the last bird of the couple's Grand Slam in the middle of a snowstorm. Goblet left the hen, came in a blinding snowstorm. I mean, it was really, 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 really cool. The problem was I put so much pressure on myself to accomplish this. I was still at that stage in my hunting life where, you know, we, we've got, we got to do this. We've got to do this. You know, we may have killed 99% of them, but if we don't do this last one, then the whole spring has <laughs> been a bust. Well, that's not the way you got to look at it. But that being said, started in Florida, um, Reed's killed an Osceola down there. Uh, Iowa, we killed two birds apiece in Iowa. That was our home state. Um, Rio's, I want to say we killed Rio's in Texas, um, along with some hogs, which my wife is a fanatical wild hog shooter. I mean, I've never, (laughs) I've seen, I've seen that little girl ride in a, in a, old Ford Bronco with no top standing up in the back of it with a guy. She looked like George Patton, you know, <laughs> looking for hog, uh, killed Rio's in Texas and then killed Miriam's in South Dakota. And it was, it was very cool. I mean, one of the neatest things folks that, that I can say about the Turkey hunting we've done, 
um, since I met Julie in 93. And, and so that's been, what, 27 years now this spring, is the places and the people. Um, you know, I, I killed birds in Hawaii and we've killed birds in Missouri and, you know, a lot of different places with a lot of different people. And we've learned a lot of different things. The, the, the thing is a lot of times people would ask me, okay, so I'm in Washington state and these are these birds, um, you know, you've got to hunt them differently. Right. And it's no, not necessarily. So, I mean, a turkey and, and your your listenership tells us they're, they're going to disagree with this. A turkey is a turkey is a turkey. I mean, biologically, he's the same. He wants to do the same things in the spring. The mama turkeys are the same way. But where he lives, you know, Washington's going to be different. California's going to mm-hmm. be different. The swamps of Florida is going to be different. Uh, you know, the, the, the uh, scrub oak in Texas is going to be different. But the birds themselves are the same. I mean, if you can sit down, apply some self-discipline, patience, persistence, call when you need to, shut up when you have to, and then kill what you're shooting at, um, and that's the biggest thing. I mean, that could be an episode in and of itself. You know, these guys, so many times I've seen these fellows either heard them tell me after the fact or I've watched them, you know, they've got, they've done everything right. They've done everything right, and that bird's at 32 steps, and they miss him. Well, that happens. You know, that happens. I went 12 years without my first 12 years. I went 12 years without ever missing a turkey. The year I missed one, I didn't miss one. I missed two. I was traumatized. (laughs) (laughs) And I had Eddie Solder, who was an old, old old-time fantastic, I mean, one of the godfathers of turkey hunting. Um, Eddie Salter told me, he says, you know what, boy, he says, if you haven't turkey, if you haven't missed a turkey, you haven't turkey hunted enough. (laughs) So, but my point is, and come around full circle is, you know, it's, it's, it's easy. It's commonplace to do everything right and get that bird where you want him and then miss him because you are forgetting about one of the most important parts of the equation. And that's the gun what it is you're shooting, the ammunition that you're shooting, and the practice. I mean, you guys practice. You, you shoot in the off-season for your waterfowl hunting. Um, I like to shoot. Shooting is fun. Mm-hmm. So I will say this, that, and I, I, I hope, gentlemen, that I'm not getting off topic too far, but I, I will say this, that every spring prior to season, even shooting guns I had shot for years, I would still take them out. I would still shoot them at pattern targets, at measured ranges, from a shooting bench, simply because I could then take that part out of the equation. Okay, the gun's right mm-hmm. on. Yep. If I miss, it's my fault. Yep. Yeah. Oh, I think it's more. I think it's more of a um, a mental thing too, because I was a guy, and I'll admit this. I admit this in the videos, on the podcast, everything. I thought. I was one of those guys not long ago, just two plus years ago, where I thought it was, and I'm just going to say it, I thought it was dumb to pattern again. I was like, what's the point? It's a shotgun. Come on, guys. Like, you know, it's spreading out there. You don't need to do that for ducks. I've been killing ducks for years, and yeah, you have. But the question I began to ask myself was, wait a minute. If I can make myself better, if I can have a better pattern without holes in it, and I know exactly what it looks like when it's flying through the air and how it's going to hit him at 20, 30, 40, 50 yards or whatever. 
then why would I not want to do that? Then it just comes down to, well, that was foolish. You know, like, why would I not do that? Like you said, that's, and so not only that, but you know what your pattern looks like when it's flying towards that bird, you know, and to know that mentally, you're like you said, you're not second guessing like, man, was that a blank or was the, was there holes all in that pattern? No, now you know, you know, and so that was, and I think instantly my shooting got a whole lot better, even though I'd been hunting for a long time, it got better quick in those last two years, I feel like because of that. Well, and, and the word you use the word, Titus, you use the word confidence, and that's one of the biggest things. I mean, and I tried to really impress upon people, and my wife is just a tremendous shooter. It was so nice to hunt with her because I could work as hard as possible to get a bird where we wanted him to be, and I never once thought about my shooter. I never thought, is she going to shoot me? I never thought if this bird gets close, she's going to kill him. I mean, that just, I, so I've seen her do some tremendous things because she practiced, she was confident and she knew, um, I, she shot a, uh, a Beretta 390, uh, with an ounce and three quarters of Winchester high velocity fives, uh, out of a, out of a Beretta factory Turkey choke tube. Um, but she knew the gun. I mean, she just flat knew the gun. Um, and I never, as I say, I just never worried once about whether or not she was going to kill a bird. And in all those years, that's me knocking wood. In all of those years, I never saw her once. Did I see her miss? Yes. Did I ever see her cripple one? No, I never did. Um, and a lot of that was, was self-discipline, too. It, it's hard. I mean, you guys know as waterfowl hunters, you guys know as, as, you know, new turkey hunters, you're getting into it. You know, it's tough to work a group of mallards around and around and around and around and not, you know, well, they're leaving. Uh, you know, do we do it at 50? You know, it, it's, it's hard to put that much effort into something mm -hmm. and then not have it come to fruition. Mm -hmm. Well, that's where the discipline comes into play. Yeah. So, um, you know, I applaud you, Titus. Uh, I would say probably 75% of the, of the waterfowl hunters out there, and I'm not picking on duck hunters. I'm really not. But I'm going to say 75% of them, if not more, do not pattern their guns. They buy some of the latest, greatest, whatever the ammunition du jour is for the year, thinking that it's going to work magically. And maybe it does, and maybe it doesn't. Um, but what they don't have, I don't think, is what the turkey hunter who doesn't pattern his or her shotgun mm -hmm. religiously uh, is, is that confidence factor. I mean, you know it. You know it firsthand. You saw it. Yeah. And some ammo that I thought, like you said, was going to be the magic trick really didn't look that good on paper at all, you know, and had big holes in it. Right. And, and and some of the stuff that we the brands we shot for years that's pretty much all I shot is the cheapest stuff you can buy. There was big holes in it, and it's like, okay, not saying that it makes up for poor shooting because you know I've killed plenty of birds with the cheap stuff just as much as the every stuff. But the difference was is the penetration. It was also the density of using more like 
maybe tungsten or bismuth. It just adds that extra. It kind of can clean up more of a poor shot if that makes sense. So, not that you want to. Oh, and I'm not. And I'm talking about poor shots at 20 yards. I'm not talking about trying to reach out a mile away and hit them. I'm talking about we all make poor shots and always a tendency for most hunters, I believe, is either shoot over top of the bird or too far back. You know, there people are going to always usually miss right. behind, but. Yeah, turkey hunting's a different. I could see shooting my first turkey, whatever it was last week. One thing I've done over and over in my head is when something's new to me or it's not ingrained in my head, I have to tell myself over and over again, aim at his neck, aim at his neck, aim. And that's why I kept telling myself because I knew once I had the opportunity, I'm probably going to get a little bit too maybe emotional or too blood's pumping too hard and just. It's a shotgun. Just throw it up. But yeah, what if it's 20 yards and your patterns come out like a softball? You know, you got to pick your point, aim, squeeze. And, you know, those are the fundamental things. And it makes a huge difference. Oh, and, and that it comes to Typhus with, uh, with maturity. I mean, and, mm-hmm. and if my wife were here, she'd be laughing because I'm probably the most immature person she's ever <laughs> met. But, you know, I, once it, once I started learning more about turkey hunting when I left the gun in the truck, and that maybe sounds odd, but I think you guys understand that. When I started taking people, taking kids, taking new turkey hunters, taking my wife, taking friends, taking my dad, you know, and I maybe carried a gun, but I wasn't concerned. A lot of times I didn't even load it. A lot of times it was laying next to me. A lot of times I'd go, huh. I wonder where my gun is. You know, that's when I really started to learn how to turkey hunt because I wasn't having to worry about that part of the equation. I could watch a bird react to a call, whether it was negatively or positively. I could watch him react to decoys. I could watch any number of things. Um, you know, but that being said, a lot of, a lot of times you're going to hunt by yourself. A lot of times your goal is to shoot one. So, you know, you, you, you start to put all of these things together, you know, the turkey biology, uh, the, the very in-depth scouting, the how to deal with the pressures of public land. Um, you've done your homework on the range. Um, you found out that, you know, this ammunition is what I need to be shooting out of this gun and this choke tube. And then when it all comes down to it, I mean, it's funny that you say, you know, aim at his neck, you know, aim at his neck, aim at his neck. Dude, I do that. I mean, I do that. Um, see the beard, see the beard, see the beard. And I'm whispering in my head or sometimes mm. I must be saying it out loud because that's why he <laughs> runs away, you know. But, you know, I, 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 it's a gobbler. I mean, it helps calm me down. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got guns that shoot. Julie and I have matching uh, Thompson Center Encores, um, single shotguns that both shoot a little bit high. We know that. Um, those guns, I have to shoot not at a bird's waddles, but I have to hold those sights at a bird's beard. Mm. Um, and then it drops it right into his waddles. Um, you know, so there's just a lot of, a lot of factors, but you guys, I, I think you'll change as you get more and more into this. Um, you'll never calm down. It'll never make you not want to pee your pants. <laughs> and I'm sorry to all those who are offended, but you know, I, 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 the day, and I know this is a cliche, but the day I don't get excited when he gobbles is the day I'm dead. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I will tell you this, you know, my passion is duck hunting, but you know, it it was it is a rush. It's I still I'm going to pick duck hunting over turkey hunting, but <laughs> I'll tell you what, every time I go, I get a little bit more like because of the chase of game, it gets you I'm and I'm competitive. So even though I'm being competitive towards a turkey and not not another person, I don't I want someone else to be successful too, but it irks me if they get the best of me, and that's what draws me into hunting them again. Like, okay, you right. sorry sucker, I'm gonna get right. you this time. You know, you're not gonna. I, they uh, the term is what um, wild goose chase. I'm like, I told Travis the other day, it should be a wild turkey chase. That's way more tough Absolutely. trying to get those things, man. Absolutely, we've we've chased them, fellas. We've chased them a long, long, long ways, and you know, went back to the truck at the end. But like you say, that's the way, you know, that's the way it happens sometimes. I had my wife's oldest boy with me in Iowa years ago. We're down in the bottom of this. We're down in the creek bottom, and and this bird gobbles up on top. He gobbles up on top, and he gobbles up on top. And I told him, I said, man, uh, let's go up there and shoot this one. So we skinny up the, the fence line there, and we're being stealthy, and this bird's gobbling, and I crow call, and he gobbles. We get up to the top, and he gobbles, and he gobbles. And I told Adrian, I told the boy, I said, I said, this bird is right in the middle of this gravel road. I said, we're going to sit down right here, and we're going to call him into the edge of the road. Everything was legal. We need to get him onto the shoulder, ideally up into the field with us. And let's see if we can't get this bird killed. We sit down. I call. He gobbles. I call. He gobbles. He gobbles. He gobbles. He gobbles. He gobbles. He gobbles. And I'm thinking... I wonder what's going on here. So I said, all right, let's get up and move. And we got up and move. We look around the corner. Well, long story short, he's in about an eight by 12 pen in the next door neighbor's yard. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. That's a good one. And here I am. I'm supposed to be showing the boy how to turkey hunt. It was a turkey hunt, I guess. Hey, we located him. We found him. Just couldn't take him home. Like we, <laughs> right, exactly. Now, we can go up and knock on that man's door and offer him a $20 bill. Right? He'll take him home. That's awesome. <laughs> you know? But, you know, I, I, I envy you guys. Um, you know, unfortunately, with everything that's going on now, our, our Washington youth season was actually canceled. It was supposed oh, to be wow. this past weekend. And they canceled youth season. Uh, they canceled spring bear season. They're looking to our regular turkey opener is on the 15th. Which, what, today is the 6th, that's a week from Wednesday, and they're probably going to cancel that as well. So, oh, that's, that's yeah, it's, it's yeah, we're all, we're all jonesing for stuff up here. I know guys who are, uh, you know, they're going to try to go out of state. I, I, things are just odd right now. It I'd is. probably be scooping Julie up and going back to Iowa, maybe go to Ohio and hunt a little bit with my dad. But, uh, yeah, I've always... California, I'm trying to think, fellas, California is one of the few states that I've never had the opportunity to turkey hunt. I've watched a lot of videos out of there. Um, you guys have some fantastic, fantastic turkey hunting down there, as you all know. So I'm a substitute teacher here at okay. the local school, and I've got a lot of kids who who do, uh, they big game hunted, but they don't have, they have no one to show them how to waterfowl hunt. And so I, I got one private farm that I use a lot for that, for that purpose, but you guys come up and, uh, we've got some tremendous duck hunting. Uh, you don't have to bring a thing. I've got everything here 
Uh, we can hunt sheet water. We can hunt tidal marshes. We can hunt river systems. We can hunt whatever it is you guys would like to hunt. Yeah, the, the duck hunting is my is my passion. Um, my brother-in-law from North Carolina um, kind of got me into turkey hunting. Um, he called him the first bird that I ever shot. And um, I, I really enjoyed it because, you know, after duck season, as you – you probably have experienced you kind of go into this uh depression mode where hey the right. season's over what do i do now and so you know you wait wait a couple months and then turkey season's here and it kind of kind of pushes you a little bit closer to duck season again for me and uh it gives me an opportunity to get out there and enjoy nature and you know to to chase 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 creation i guess you know chase chase something else and um enjoy those experiences but yeah waterfowl is is truly what what I live and breathe for, I guess. <laughs> well, and and one thing, Phil's that that we didn't touch on: wild turkeys are awfully, awfully darn good to eat. Oh, oh yeah, man. No, we know that. Uh, we know that. Uh, <laughs> you know, and and a lot well, of, a we're, lot of people who don't know. We're recording again, so let me make let me uh, try to phrase this where I can cut this back into the podcast. So, uh, MD. Um, we'll probably wrap it up here. I know you said you had a certain amount of time, so maybe we'll wrap it up here in the next five minutes. But what's what's uh, what's your favorite way to cook turkey? Because I tell you what, I was very, very impressed. The first time I had wild turkey, I obviously had turkey a lot from the store and all that good stuff. But wild turkey, Travis and Tamara had us over a while back, and they cooked it, and it was incredible. It was uh, Parmesan crusted turkey mm. and it was mm. incredible and they tenderized it and all that stuff so i shot my turkey and like five days later we had it all <laughs> over again and i cooked it for them and used their recipe but what do you what's how do you like to prepare it you know fellas the simpler the better um i do keep absolutely keep the legs and thighs they're dark meat uh, Julie has one of those, we've got one of those Instapots mm. and those Instapots are fantastic yeah. for uh, pressure cooking the legs and thighs, um, and making soups. She makes a lot of soups. Uh, the breast meat, I had a, we had a couple come up from Texas and hunt with us there in Iowa years ago. And John and Michael Bagley, um, M-I-K-A-L, never met a gal named Michael before. Um, but just a just a wonderful couple. Anyway, they showed us a, a, a turkey recipe that was fantastic. They took a breast, the one half. Actually, they did both halves, but they cut it into strips like you do chicken strips. And then, how was it? He took regular yellow mustard, just regular traditional yellow mustard, and started adding cayenne pepper to it and stirring it until it turned orange. Then he dredged those strips in that mustard and cayenne pepper and deep fried them. Now it sounds like, Oh, that can't possibly. It was fantastic. <laughs> really? There was, mean, so there was fantastic. no coating on it. It was just straight. Nope. Really? And you th- and so did it suck to it when you threw it in the deep fryer? Yep. Huh. Yeah. Cause I would have never thought wow. that that was going to work, but it was, it was fantastic. I'm trying uh, it. Myself. <laughs> A, a lot of times I'll just cut it into strips. I'll do stir fries. I do a lot of simple stir fries uh, with that turkey breast meat. Uh, mm-hmm. Cut it into strips and then do a, I'm not big on panko. I'm always burning it. But do a, Julie makes her own breading 
Um, so I'll Brenham and deep prime. I'm huge. I realize that I'm cutting my life expectancy. Short. <laughs> hey, um, we live to eat. You know, we don't eat to live. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh-huh. So agreed. Um, so I think the simpler, the better. Um, you know, one of the, one of the mistakes that folks makes folks make with uh, wild Turkey is that it's not fat. I mean, he works for a living. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't have the fat content that a domestic bird does. So a lot of times they'll take it out like like goose, wild goose. It's dry. It's dry. It's dry. Yeah, you can't cook it like you do. Excuse me. You can't cook it like you do a domestic turkey. So, you know, keep that in mind. Um, you know, pieces of breast meat wrapped in bacon. I mean, what isn't good wrapped in bacon? <laughs> Nothing is not good in it. It's all good. You know. <laughs> So, but I, I like it simple. I do like the stir fries. I like it deep fried, um, but I like it just simple, uh, you know, and I don't know, um, fall birds, we, we had tremendous fall seasons in the Midwest. We've got fall seasons here in Washington state. I believe you folks there in California have fall seasons. There's yep. another whole different style of turkey hunting in the fall, um, and you can use some of those fall tactics very effectively in the spring, I think. Um, and I'm seeing, it's interesting, over the last few days, I've been seeing more and more guys using calling techniques that are traditionally or have traditionally been fall, quote, air quotes, fall calling techniques in the spring. And it's very, very effective. Um, you guys, I know you guys are all wrapped up with ducks and geese yeah. in the fall, but <laughs> if you have the opportunity to do a fall turkey hunt, it can be awfully, awfully, awfully fun. Yeah, I've never tried the the fall season. Um, like you said, it's usually duck season, so I'm really focused on on that part of it. Um, but I know we, we do have those opportunities here in California, and I have to try that one of these times. Yep, you well, absolutely should. Absolutely should. That's the thing is, like you said, we're so wrapped up in it. It's like, uh, don't want to take the time to go out and do it, but. Well, before we close this and end this episode, uh, MD, it's been a pleasure speaking to you and hearing your knowledge. And we haven't even scratched the surface. I know it's it's really hard to get information in such a short period of time. So you're definitely going to have to come on multiple more times for turkey and for waterfowl and all that good stuff. And hopefully we can even link up with you. That'd be great. Make some videos, do some more podcasts. But um, to to close this out, could you tell us a couple of books? You're an author, and you wrote several books. Could you tell us, uh, the audience a couple books that they might look up and maybe that could help them out with turkey hunting or duck hunting alike? Uh, yeah, well, thank you very much. Uh, thank you both very much for letting me uh, ramble on endlessly, mindlessly. Um, it's painfully obvious now, I'm sure, gentlemen, that once you get starting to talk about them, turkey hunting there is no, no such thing as <laughs> no, no. Conversation. we enjoy every minute of it duck, yeah duck hunting the same way julie and i uh put together six books in i think six or seven years i don't think unfortunately i don't think any of them none of them are in print you can still find them um on amazon if you uh if you google md johnson there's successful turkey hunting Successful duck hunting, successful goose hunting, okay. uh, waterfowling beyond the basics. That's kind of a, you know, gets away from the basic stuff and, and gets into more layout hunting and, um, you know, some some decoy carving, some of those types of things. Um, 
but uh, those were those were nice those were nice projects, real well received, especially the waterfowl things. I think you guys are doing a great job. Um, I think you know at first I was skeptical about. I guess I'm like a lot of people, fellows. I was kind of skeptical about YouTube, but you know, I, I, I let's face it, I write for a living, but the printed word. It hasn't fallen out of favor. It's not out of vogue. I won't go that far. But you guys are the ones who are teaching today's waterfowlers for the most part. Uh, you know, in your 15 to 18 minute segments, you know, you're showing them what it is that you're doing and how you're doing it and the mistakes that you're making and how you correct those mistakes. And, you know, I would like to say that it's the magazine articles and the books, but, you know, you guys are the teachers right now, and I really appreciate what it is that you're doing. Um, there's some real good information out there. I think maybe the hardest part is for new people to differentiate between what is good information yeah. and what's not necessarily yeah. good mm -hmm. information. Uh, but you guys are doing, there on uh, in Min Valley, you guys are doing a fantastic job. You really are. I Thanks. appreciate that. You know what? And, and you saying that, I, I guess I never really thought about it like that because um, I'm I'm 47, and I remember growing up as a kid, my my grandfather always had uh, Outdoor Life magazine, Sports the Field, and I would sit there for hours and look at those those books and um, those magazines, and I would you know cut pictures out of them and put them in photo albums of of different you know things that that just awed me as a kid, and. You know, having having kids of my own, I don't think my my son. Well, we get we get a couple of uh, magazine subscriptions for uh, you know like Ducks Unlimited and um, Delta Waterfowl, and he'll look at them, but nothing compared to what the, the time that I would spend pouring over those books as a kid. But we didn't have what we have now with the uh, social media and YouTube, and I find myself now, you know, I, I spend more time watching YouTube videos than I than I do actually looking. At, at magazines, I still enjoy the magazines, but I, I don't know. It just brings it to life for me a little bit more. Looking at it, you know, um, a moving picture versus um, books. But I have appreciation for both and for um, you know for writing, and um, I, I love love getting um, you know short stories of waterfowling and things like that, and just and right. just reading those things. So, um, but yeah, what, what you said totally brings it to life for me, and I guess it, it puts a greater responsibility on on us to you know, preserve what we've been handed from other people and to, and to treat it in the right way with respect and, um, right. you know, to respect the game, to respect, um, the, the privileges that we have as Americans to, to get out there in the field and, and enjoy what we hunt, what we do, um, knowing that, you know, not everybody gets that, that opportunity. And, um, so it is, is a pl platform to use in a positive way to, to impact the, the future generations. Cause that's, what's going to, that's what we need if we're going to have this tradition, you know, when when I'm in my eighties and nineties, and I have grandkids, and and you know, I want I want to preserve that for them. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Very, very, very well said. Very well said. Yeah, very good, Travis. All right. Well, again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for the kind words, MD, and nice meeting you. And maybe one of these times we can have you and your wife on together. It sounds like you think a lot about her, and it sounds like she has some cool experiences and knowledge too that we might want to dig into and be a part a partaker of but uh, again guys check out mj johnson they got a website mjoutdoors.com you can check out their website see a little bit more about them and he's done a lot of things and 
I'm going to keep it on the download for now, but um, you might see us in the near future um, in in an article that MJ or MD is doing. And um, looking forward to seeing that. And I hopefully you guys are too. Thanks for listening in, and we'll see you guys next time. <laughs>